Here's the argument against a big sell-off, Sal, because if you're talking about, if that's a reference to Scherzer and Verlander, well, for the same reason the Mets are... I don't think it is, by the way. ...are nowhere. Well, what's a major sell-off then? I well, mean, I think talk, you start throwing in Alonzo in there. You start considering whoa. Nimmo. I mean, I, a major sell-off Nimmo. to me is... Here, ha, a major sell-off that's to me is... That's a major sell-off. Have at it. And you pick anybody. Well, Even that's, McNeil, a, that's, I a think dis, that's a dismantling, though. That's a but Florida that's a major Marlins sell-off. after the World Series kind of dismantling. Yeah, that, the difference they is can't, what, of course? They won the World Series. Yes, that's <laughs> a big difference. Yes, right, yeah. of course. But look, if we're talking about, uh, about uh, just, uh, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, well, the same reasons that the Mets are not a playoff team right now are the same reasons that other playoff teams are not going to come to the Mets. We'll give you three of our top 100 prospects for one of those guys. Right. At, the money is a big deal. The no trade clause clauses for both of those guys make it a very complicated transaction. And I look, you have to sort of dissuade Met fans from thinking that this is going to be a bonanza where they restock the farm system and get all these incredible guys because they get rid of two guys who are on the wrong side of the age curve in Major League Baseball uh, because they haven't pitched great this year. So nobody's clamoring for them. Right. The Met, best scenario for the Mets is that they rediscover themselves in the second half for the Mets. Right. Well, I think the best scenario for the Mets is to get rid of one of them just because building a team with two of those guys does not make any sense. It has not. You worked. were all for it earlier this season, though. Yeah, you loved. You've been. You've been in but, love with Scherzer ever since he got here. Of course, but he's been a disaster. It hasn't worked, and now you have two. I can live with one of those guys. I cannot live with both. So if they could somehow get somebody to take one of them on and build a team balanced way, I would trade Scherzer and try to add bullpen help. You know, we talk about major sell-off, JJ, and I mentioned Pete Alonso. Is there any scenario? that the Mets should consider trading Pete Alonso. No, because Pete Alonso is not playing his best baseball. He's been dreadful since the month of June. You want to tell me it's the wrist injury? You want to tell me it's the idea that his timing is thrown off? Pete Alonso's hitting under 210. So this is not the time now to sell Pete Alonso because Pete Alonso is not at his highest point. This is a guy who last year was in the middle of everything for the New York Mets. And I still believe, Sal, if the Mets want to get to where they want to be down the road, he's a big part of it. The way he drives in runs, the way he hits the ball over the fence. Mm. The Mets, oh, by the way, don't have a whole lot of guys outside of Francisco Alvarez who are able to do that. I want Alonzo to be here, set all sorts of records. He's got a chance to do that in a New York Met uniform. I think this would be a terrible time to sell on Alonzo. Yeah, it's crazy talk. I mean, it, this is New York. Let's not forget. I know it's been one bad season here for this Mets team with Steve Cohen. You can't trade Pete Alonzo. He's arguably going to be the best position player to ever wear a Mets uniform. And there's talk about trading him. It just does not make sense. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Monday, July the 24th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Happy Monday to all of you out there in Mets land. Coming to you on this off day before the Subway Series. 
right after a late Sunday Sunday night baseball uh, edition of the Mets. Talking Mets here. Big two-part episode. So yes, you're going to have two downloads this morning as uh, you get up with your Cheerios. First, we'll get a little bit into the trade deadline. Going to talk about a topic that I think has been broached about but may need to be talked about a little more as we head towards the trade deadline. Yes, I'm still in the Mets as done. I know there was some glimmers of hope as they won the first game at Fenway, played a little bit better against the White Sox. But until you get to 500, and as I predicted from weeks ago, it would take probably till the deadline if the Mets even played at a a two out of three clip, which they're kind of not, to get to 500. And then, you know, you got to take off from there. So a lot of work to be done. Not sure it's feasible with this amount of time left in the season. And then part two, Mets alumni joining us, former member of Generation K, Bill Pulsifer. Interesting story. First time on this show. Had a chance to catch up with Bill when he was a member of the Somerset Patriots when I used to cover the Atlantic League many, many moons ago. Great guy. Local Long Islander here in New York. So we'll hear from Bill Pulsifer. That'll be a separate download, part two. So, uh... Pay attention. You're going to have two editions of the Talking Mets podcast. So here we are here on this Monday, the 24th, and we are about a week, almost a week away from the trade deadline. And again, like I've been telling everybody here, I think everybody's going to be disappointed. I think there's a lot of clickbait going on out there. You'll you know, Google Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander. Well, the Giants are scouting Justin Verlander. Well, Everybody's scouting everybody else. I mean, there's there's, there's, there's nobody that you're not going to scout. That doesn't mean that you have a deal on the table or it's even realistic to get a deal on the table. I think everybody, because it's the trade deadline, because the Mets are so disappointing, there's so much frustration out there. They just want to sell off to get something, something, anything. That's the something, anything crowd. We go through that all the time. Off season, things aren't going the way people want. Do something, anything, like, that's not how you run a business. That's not how you run a baseball team. So I have a feeling, and I've been saying this for weeks, that when we convene, when the deadline, well, it's all said and done, and the deadline is has been in the rear, rear view mirror, I don't think anybody's going to be too happy if you're in the camp that you want the Mets to do something dynamic, if you think that there's going to be this big trade out there. Trade, Mets trade deadline is tricky. What the Mets are doing is tricky. And never really in their history have they been able to contend at a high level and rebuild the farm system at the same time. Think about it. They they were the expansion team, built up the farm system, won a championship in 1969, contended a little bit after that. But once they traded Seaver, they went down into the, the pit. They didn't come back until after they rebuilt again in 1984. 80s Mets have their run things go bad they try to do a second breath with the worst team money can buy that doesn't work Mets decide to retreat they don't get back into the big spending game when guys like Bonds and Maddox and so on and so forth were out into the free agent market the following offseason they take two or three years to rebuild post strike generation K ironically enough we got Bill Pulsifer on in the back half of the show and, and the Mets try to win with that group. That doesn't happen. And at that point, the Mets weren't really in any kind of rebuild. When Bobby Valentine took over, they were signing free agents and trying to win. And the farm system really wasn't 
developing at a high rate. And as a matter of fact, if you think about it, what really also set the franchise back, yeah, you had Wright and Reyes at some point, but the Mets really, as they tried to win from 1997, oh, I would say until about 2010 when the Madoff stuff happened, they went into baseball purgatory and Sandy Alderson took over. They never really developed a high-level farm system during those years. That's, I don't know, well over a decade. So it was a lot of, yeah, there'd be a component. You know, you had Wright and Reyes, maybe you had a component player here or there. But for the most part, nothing. Then they developed the pitchers. They go to the World Series. They've been trying to win ever since. But there has been a more concerted effort on the farm system. And now the edict from Steve Cohen is to build up the farm system. But because he has the wallet that he has, and I think it's the only owner, or one of the few owners in the, in the league. I mean, think about it. Who else could do what the Mets are trying to do? San Diego, maybe? The Yankees certainly can do it. Red Sox? I mean, who can do what they do? It's, it's not an easy thing. Maybe the Phillies? So what they're trying to do is historically significant in the context of the, the Mets history. I think it's significant in, in any team history. I know the Yankees, to a certain degree, did it a little bit. But they were still a mid-80s type team. Rebuilding in that sense, I don't really call it that. Rebuilding is rebuilding. It's what the Orioles have done, the Cubs have done, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the Astros did famously. So uh, now that you're in this unique type of situation, um, you know, you know, there's only a couple of things that you have to do at the deadline if you're rebuilding. If you're rebuilding, you want to get talent back. But in the situation the Mets are in, they could easily use some of these players that are out there that are being talked about to be traded, and they need them in 2024. So unless you're getting some kind of high-level prospect for a Brooks Raley, let's say, Adam Adovino, Mark Canna, good pieces to a, uh, a good team, you're going to need them next year. And you could say, well, they could go out and find another version of them, but not so easy all the time. So you got to really get something back. So don't be surprised that those guys are around a week from today. Now, you want to talk about shedding payroll? Yeah, you can do that. I'm not sure really where the Mets are with the luxury tax. There's a significant amount of payroll that needs to be shed. That's where you talk about Verlander and Scherzer. And look, the report's already out there. And I know you guys don't like listening to Martino sometimes. I know a lot of you, and what's surprising, and I had this argument on Twitter, you don't like really reading the facts because you've got a thought in your head about what you want, what should happen, and everything else is blinders and like, well, they're lying. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, the Mets are just telling you that. No, they're not. No, they're not. Anytime there's been a report from a Martino or somebody credible that's got good front office sources, stuff's like that happened. So to just say, well, that's not true. Well, yeah, it is. Now, as you get to August 1st, as the clock ticks, teams, especially the three wild card scenario, that say, hey, I'm a bat or an arm away from making noise, from getting into this tournament. And they start looking at each other and they're like, well, maybe we should go for it. They stop the prospect hugging. It's almost like you're trying to play uh, chicken here. You're waiting for the other side to blink. It's already been out there that Martino said if they're going to trade a Verlander, if they're going to trade Scherzer, 
they got to start to look at where these guys are at, what's out there on the free agent market, what kind of deals that they anticipate being able to make, and are those options that they can replace Scherzer and Verlander with better? Look, there's all that winter of Otani stuff, but it's not just about Otani. You've got Yamamoto out in Japan that they're scouting. There's guys like Aaron Nola that are going to be free agents. There's all sorts of pitchers that you could go after. Are they as good as Scherzer and Verlander? Well, there's nobody out there that has the Hall of Fame resume of those guys. But the versions that they are now, that's a different conversation. So the fact that that's what's on the table tells you the Mets are not just waving the white flag. They are going to ask for a certain value. If a team expresses interest in those guys or any of their players, they're going to know that farm system, and they're going to hone in on a certain player that makes sense for them to move that particular asset because players are assets at this point now yeah you got Robertson you got Pham you got Carrasco look especially the case of Carrasco which by the way wasn't Fenway Park and that game the most predictable bad outcome for a pitcher like Carrasco on the road good offense band box Sunday night baseball is like there's no way Carrasco is going to navigate this so um, you know, you want to dump them for something, uh, not organizational filler, maybe a reliever, the kind of deals the Mets have made when they were looking to shed salary. I know Cohen could throw money into the deal. That's what he did with Trevor Gott. That's not working out a, uh, at all. But at some point, if you're going to throw money in the deal, you got to start looking at top 10, top 15 prospects or guys that are close enough and have enough upside on a 25, 26, you know, 40 man roster to make an impact. Like, almost immediately. Or else it doesn't make sense. I mean, right now, the most likely guy to fetch you something in the current prospect-hugging, asset-minded environment is probably Robertson because there's a lot of teams that could use him and enhance their bullpen. He's had a great year. I wouldn't just throw him away, but, you know, is that, and I keep going back, this is, you know, generationally for me, the Mets' Larry Anderson for Jeff Bagwell. Now, let's remember... Fernando Tatis Jr. was traded for uh, James Shields. You know, nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about uh, Kelnick. I mean, think about that. There's, you know, arguably maybe one of the best hitters in the league. If you go back, and I'm actually bringing it up now as we speak, uh, he used to be with the White Sox, and he was traded by the White Sox in 2016 for James Shields, who was on the back half of his, his run. Now, when they traded him, he was in rookie ball, uh, and he was nothing special. All of a sudden, you know, the Padres get him, and uh, away you go. He's a star, so you never know. So things like this can happen, and they can be, you know, at that time, nobody was talking about, other than the fact that his father played, nobody was talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. It's just, you know, I believe, I don't remember them talking about, oh, my God, how can the White Sox do this for James Shields? Uh, you know, but the White Sox were... In their eyes, a contender, and, and they wanted to put it together and 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 see what they can do. So I don't think the deadline is going to be, and I've said this for a while, is anything special. They're not about to give a player away. I'm not sure what they could get even for the guys that are free agents. You might want to have some fun at City Field the final eight weeks, even if you want to give the illusion that there's – a wild card race because they're I don't think they're gonna fall too far back. They're always gonna be a stone's throw away, but there's just so much that has to happen. It's just not realistic to say that they're in the playoffs. Which I have to tell you, the fact that I heard I think it was John Hopper that reported it, 
that a lot of executives in baseball look at the Fangraphs playoff odds. I'm like, is that really where we're at? That we're in this generation of executives that they go to Fangraphs to see if they can make the playoffs? I don't need Fangraphs percentage to tell me whether the Mets are in or out of it. Okay? You watch your team day in and day out. You look at simple math in the standings. You look at what's realistic for a team to, to a level to play at. Like I said for the Mets, 660 ball. And I don't need Fangraphs to say, hey, you know, this this is realistic. Because guess what? I don't know where they get some of these percentages. They change every day. So, anyway, God bless Fangraphs. They got that kind of uh, influence, but I'm not quite sure that 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 that's. Uh, I laughed when I saw that. I wonder how true that is. And if it is, I start to shake my head and go, "Who's running ball clubs here?" So, but um, but there is actually a part of me that wants to have an uncomfortable deadline conversation. It's easy to sit here and talk about. Scherzer and Verlander and Robertson and I want Carrasco out and Fam and sure another bullpen arm like Rayleigh or Adovino. I mean, those are the kind of arms that could fetch you something. Everybody's always looking for bullpen, no matter you know who they are, or how good their bullpen is. There's always one more import that you could bring in the final eight weeks. Mets did it with Michael Givens last year, but I think the conversation that we have to put on the table is Pete Alonso now. I'm not here to sit here and debate some hot air type debate trading Pete Alonso to upset you. Because when I started to think about it and do this exercise and do some novice research about what's realistic to trade Alonso, uh, you get that icky feeling. You know, Pete has been the emotional leader of this team. He's hit and been a great story from the first moment he came into the league back in 2019. I mean, perfect example where you don't let, let a prospect just stay down for two weeks to get an extra year of service. He earned a spot in the uh, the lineup. Brody Van Wagen in the Mets front office gave it to him. Great message sent to the players in an environment where they, to this day, feel there's service time manipulation. And it drives the union nuts. Gain a lot of respect for the front office when they do stuff like that. But we do have to put on the table that he is a free agent. It's a conversation that we had during the offseason about what is he worth? Is he going to try to look for the highest, you know, AAV for a first baseman, trying to get to that $30 million a year range? You know he's going to get about $25 to $27 million a year. He's probably going to get a contra- contract between 7 and, 10, 7 and 10 years. It's a big, big commitment. The Mets have a big commitment to Lindor already. Uh, they may have a big commitment to an Otani type this offseason. They've got the Nimmo and the Diaz contracts out there. They're not terribly leveraged going into the next three to five years, other than Lindor being that long-term deal that maybe you could see go bad. I mean, you could say the same for Nimmo. Uh, they've been good at that. But, you know, you start adding a lot of seven- to ten-year contracts to your ledger, at some point they become albatrosses. And if these players do not perform at the rate at which you expect them to, and the meat of that contract becomes a real problem. Any contract, like a Lindor contract, even a Nimmo contract, when you start to get to years six and seven plus, you don't know what kind of player you're going to get. When you start to get that player into their mid-30s, late prime, you don't know what you're going to get. And if signing, who's Pete Alonso is going to be 29 years old in December. He's going to go into next year at, at 29. A contract of seven years 
brings him to about 36. Not too bad. But Pete's game is home runs. Pete's game is driving in runs. And this year he's resembled Joey Gallo. Now there's a value to Joey Gallo's of the world. They hit home runs. They drive in runs. But I'm not impressed with guys who hit a buck 90 to 200 and hit home runs and drive in runs because when that goes south, and sometimes that goes south for periods, and with Pete Alonso, it's gone south for over 60 games. Want to throw in the, the hand injury? Fine. 100% think there's something going on there. But, but he's been bad since April. And when you look at Pete Alonso right now, he has the worst on-base percentage of his career, the worst slugging, the worst batting average on balls in play, the worst run creation. His exit velo's down a little bit. Even when you go to some kind of advanced metrics over at Baseball Savant, he's not hitting the sweet spot as much as he normally has. Is it, you know, everybody's going to have a bad year in their career. Everybody does. And sometimes it's unexplainable. Sometimes it's based on injuries. Everything has gone bad for the Mets since January when Correa. We've talked about it a billion times since Correa didn't sign. So does it surprise me now as we look in in the rearview mirror with the mojo that they didn't have from the minute the baby New Year came in that both Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso are having the worst years of their career? Maybe, you know, for Jeff, I would argue that it might be worse than 2021 in some ways. So when you look at this, you have to be very honest if you're the Mets front office. Why? Why has this happened? And what's disappointing to me is that the player that I saw evolving, the gold standard was Paul Goldschmidt. Can he start to be a more well-rounded hitter going the other way like he did last year in big RBI situations? Strategically trying to murder the baseball and go for the home run. All those things, you know, even the strikeout rates that tick up. All those things that he was starting to show promise on as he was evolving into the meat of his prime. Now, he is in his prime. And he was not a young 20, 21-year-old prospect when he came up. So, as you look at this, you start to say, hey, you know, when we make this commitment, and he's, you know, they got one more year in the contract, And sure, you know, if things go not so well next year, I guess you could trade him at the deadline. But if he's not playing well, you're just gifting him at that point for very little. So your time to really assess whether Alonzo is an asset to hold on to or a guy that could bring you assets for the next era of Mets baseball is now. Now, Martino is correct by saying that the Mets are more likely to do this in the offseason because the market will be bigger. But there may be an opportunity now. And I did my own little research. The only way that you trade Pete Alonso and you justify it is if you bring back a big-time pitching prospect. And I think the only way you bring back a big-time pitching prospect for Pete Alonso now at the deadline is you have to target teams with top farm systems that have pitching they're in contention and they have an offensive need and they may be a little desperate where that offensive need could be the difference between success and failure very small sample of teams that's why 
when Martino made that point, I was like, let me do my research. He's right. See, there's a difference between screaming and yelling in front of the SNY camera or screaming and yelling in front of a radio mic. Trade Pete Alonzo. I'm tired of him, blah, blah, blah. Or don't trade Pete Alonzo. How can you do that? And agitate people and say, hey, really look at the tea leaves in front of you. So I said, really, some of the teams that fall into that, Baltimore, Cleveland, Tampa, Cincinnati. Cleveland, not so much. They have probably enough offense. And I started to look into those farm systems. Baltimore, you know, Tampa, Cincinnati. I know that there's also guys at the big league level, young guys. But if you're going to trade this kind of player that has meant so much to the team, I think you want a high-level pitcher, guy who could be a one or two in your rotation, total team control for the full six years, just about ready to blossom and could help as early as next April. And as I go and I dive into all these teams, teams like Cincinnati and Tampa and Baltimore, all who are contenders, all who could potentially, you know, not so much Tampa, but could use a bat like Pete Alonzo that may be able to get them to the next level. The team that really stares in my face, that's a good fit, that has the asset that we're talking about to be the centerpiece of the deal. And I think Pete Alonso going over there could be the way they make the wild card. And if they make the wild card, they are a dangerous team in the postseason. No doubt about it. That team is the Miami Marlins. Now I know, oh my God, you're going to have to see him 14 times a year. You're trading him in the division. Can they afford him? Well, I mean, yeah, that the affordability situation is always there. And, and, and uh, you know, a team has a $90 you know, $2 million payroll uh, on opening day. It looks like they, uh, you know, it's about $125, 126000000 million. You know, what is Pete Alonzo making this year? Pete Alonzo this year is making... Um, let me get Pete Alonso's salary out here. Pete Alonso's making $14.5 million this year. You know, he's going to make something similar in arbitration next year, about $15 million and what have you. Uh, you know, more than half the season has been played, so you're really only on the hook for about seven less. It's not a big financial commitment. If, for some reason, he's too hot for them to handle financially next year, they could trade him in the offseason if they just want to make this a, uh, a one-and-done. But if you look at the, uh, the Marlins only have $43 million in payroll committed next year. And Avisil Garcia is making $12 million. I mean, Pete is a steal if you look at that. He's a steal. It's, a, it's amazing. So I look at that and you say, well, okay, Mike, who are they going to get? Well, the top prospect in the Miami system is Max Meyer. Tommy John surgery. All right, so... Put that on the table. So there's one guy to take a look at. That's risky. Guys already had Tommy John, lost a year of development. What do you what, what do you think, Mike? You know, uh, you know that's that's uh, uh, you know that's a little crazy. Well, there's also Yuri Perez, and I know he was sent down. They're managing his innings. He's an elite talent. He you know he came up, had an ERA plus of 184. No way Miami signs him, uh, you know, trades him. Well, you know, you look at Miami. He's a young pitcher. He certainly 
is a guy that profiles as a top of the rotation ace. Ace. They have Luzardo. Guys come around. Uh, they have Braxton Garrett, who's not bad. Edward Cabrera is a guy who's up and down. A little bit too many walks, but could be good at the back end of the rotation. I mean, with Alcantara, who's having a down year. I mean, you add Perez to that rotation. The Marlins are a solid staff. You know, right there in the hub of their prime, mid-20s. I mean, that's why I told you guys last year. That's a fi- That team last year profiled as a low-80s win team, a pesky team. But they have absolutely no offense. Now, I know on their farm, if you go up and down their farm system, they have some positional prospects. But while these pitchers are affordable, because not all of them, I mean, unless they're going to plan on doing what the Braves did, Kim Ang is going to do what, what the Braves did and sign all these guys to seven-year deals at below market rate. I, you know, Good luck. I don't think every player is going to do that. They could try. You're going to need to bring in some offense, and offense costs money. Offense costs, good offensive players don't cost usually 10 or $12 million a year. Impact offensive players cost 20 to $25 million. And probably they can't afford that. They can't afford to keep their pitching in the offense. So a lot of things have to align for the Miami Marlins to make the postseason, to stay competitive consistently, and to win a championship. Which with the uh, the first female GM, I mean, that's something that, you got history right in front of you. Yeah, I know. Nobody shows up to the ballpark. But anytime that team makes the postseason, something wild happens. And they do draw for that short span of time. You know, we saw it in 97. We saw it in 2003. Why not do it again? Do I think that the Marlins and the Mets could make a trade like this? I think it's unlikely. I don't even know if, you know, Yuri Perez is somebody they would even consider giving up. I mean, they may more likely say, hey, I'll give you Alcantara, who's on contract. But Alcantara, even though he has a reasonable AAV, a reasonable contract, and is signed, you have to start to worry a little bit about how the dip this year, how much of a downturn, strikeout rate declining, walk rate ticking back up. You know, maybe he's he's got something going on in there. So that's not the direction you want to go here, unless you would, you know, taking a risk and dumping Pete or Pete didn't want to, play for the Mets anymore none of that is true so that's kind of how I would go I mean what I just outlined for you now obviously a trade like that could be dived into deeper there's other pieces to it maybe you throw in Robertson maybe they say hey I'm not just doing this for Pete Alonzo I need both Pinnell would you give me Robertson and Alonzo and maybe pay down a piece of Robertson because I think Alonzo that's you know is good enough with Perez and maybe you have to pay in more to get Yuri Perez. I think you have to seriously do it. A good championship team is not built on a 200 hitting, 40 home run RBI first baseman. You could get that run creation and run production by bringing in other types of players. Now, very painful losing that bat in the middle of the order. It's not like the Mets have three, four, five big time home run hitters. But with Alvarez in the lineup, he's kind of your new age Pete Alonso. No, he's a catcher, so that's risky. Just like the days of Piazza when these guys can't play on a Sunday or they get hurt because they get banged up. But there's a DH now. During the Piazza days, there was not. So if you're staring at a guy that's Joey Gallo in the back half of his career for some reason, and he's done this before. He did this during the pandemic season, and he bounced right back the following year. So maybe Pete has these peak, you know, these little valley seasons every once in a while. But that's a problem, too, when you're signing a six- or seven-year deal. You need a consistent—you need to know who Pete Alonzo will be 
at the baseline. I think we know that, but he has these now two seasons or a season and a half where he's fallen below his baseline and makes you wonder how good he is. You know, sophomore slump, you know, feeling the pressure of the yoke that we talked about, which, by the way, with the poll on the website, 50% of you buy into it. It's truly this whole 1940 Rangers correlation to the Mets curse. I'm, I'm doing a non sequitur here. Really is a 50-50 crapshoot when you start talking to the fans. You know, quarter of you don't know, quarter of you say no, it's crazy, and then half of you say yes. So you can look at that as 50-50 because, you know, half of you do not buy into it 100%, maybe only partially. I don't know if I do, Pete, for like some prospect that I don't know about. I mean, Yuri Perez is as polished and as, you know, ready to go and, and has already shown success. I don't know anything about his health or his mechanics or, you know, how that plays into their decision-making. That's the kind of picture that can make a, a deal like this palatable. You can't do it for maybes. You can't do it for, hey, that's a nice haul of nice prospects. Now, in the offseason, Martino's correct. You don't have to just go to Miami. You can go to all 30 teams and see, you know, who would take on Pete Alonso? Who's looking to restructure their offense? Who feels that this is a good move? But I think if you're going to get a real, 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 real good prospect like a Perez, I think you have to do it at the deadline. Because even in the offseason, when you start to come off a season like Pete has, you look at the contract he needs, teams will take him on. But I don't think they're going to give you the haul that you think. And at that point, you keep him. And it might even be better to just roll the dice and go to free agency with him at that point. I think the time to sell him is now, when you could go to those specific teams that want to make the postseason, have a glaring huge need, and say, how about you think about this? You got all this pitching. Yeah, Perez giving him up is painful for the Marlins. But you don't make a trade to improve your team at that kind of level to make the postseason and possibly win and not have pain in your part. That's the part that pisses me off about the modern GM, about the modern media, about the modern fan. They want to make these deals, but I'm the team in contention. There's no reason for me to feel any pain. Yeah, there is. I'm the one, if I'm out of it, that doesn't feel pain. I mean, I feel pain giving up a popular player and you're taking a chance that this guy goes on, signs a contract somewhere, and he, you know, looks, he becomes Paul Goldschmidt. And he just had a bad 2023. That's it. So that's where you're at. You know, you, uh, you, you guys might not like it. This might be uncomfortable. But honestly, this is something to think about. I do not think Pete Alonso is going to be traded a week from, from today. I don't. But I think it's something that you should seriously think about. And as a fan, as you listen to these debates, know that when you listen to this show, we took that debate and we intellectualized it. Look, I went through these teams. Look, I'm doing novice work. It's not easy to find the right prospect that you could say, yes, this makes sense. Especially a prospect that a team might be willing to give up that really needs Pete Alonso. Miami's like the one. Maybe you could throw Tampa in there, but they don't have coming up, they have more offensive prospects than pitching that are like fitting, filling in the Yuri Perez bandwidth. Very interesting concept. So take the Pete Alonso debate, the trade deadline debate, give you some mental bubble gum. We're going to take a quick break. You're now going to go out. You're going to re-download the second show. I wanted to do a standalone. Sometimes I do it and like, you know, when we have 
a great guest. We kind of do two-parters here. I've always thought about doing one-parter, two-parters. But here, when we have a guest that stands out, I like to make it standalone so that you could listen to that separately, maybe come back to it. There's the content that's current that goes stale a little quicker, like this debate, and then there's stuff that you could basically listen to at any point in time. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, former Met Bill Pulsiver, our latest Mets alumni conversation. We'll be back with that and more right after this.